Father, thank you that you are holding our hand each and every day. God, forgive us when we would draw our hand from yours. Forgive us, Father, when many times we want to be in charge of our life instead of allowing you to be the Lord of our life, even as Christians, even as those who have been saved, even as those who have been brought into your family. Father, please forgive us. And God, I pray as we study in the book of Isaiah, God, how I pray that you would speak your truth through me. God, I am a sinner, and I confess it openly, Lord, before you and before your people. And God, I am not here to, to judge or to contemn, but Lord, to simply share your word. And so help me, Lord, to do that faithfully. Help me, Lord, not only to share the word, but to live by this word. And God, I just pray that you'll speak to hearts this day, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible, and I I do pray that you bring your Bible with you to church. Um, Folks, my job is to share the Word of God with you. There are many other jobs that I have too, but this is one of the most important things, is for me to be God's spokesman in these hours that we are here in church worshiping Him. Last Sunday, and we just scratched the surface about Isaiah's message to the nations. Would it be God's judgment or God's grace? Um, Folks, let me again say a couple of things. I am not mad with any individual or group or lashing out against any one particular sin. But I'm preaching, I pray, the word of God. And, folks, these sermons have been in the works for months now. I've never really done a lot of study in the prophets. Uh, As you know, most of the sermons that I've preached over the years have been out of the New Testament. But, folks, we're living in a day, I believe, in which either the judgment of God is getting ready to fall or we're going to experience a great revival. There is great evil in our world, and there's evidence that is becoming greater and greater. And all throughout the Word of God, there are times when because of the sin and rebellion of the world, the judgment of God fell upon the nations or upon a nation. And folks, I want you to understand, There's, and, and I'm going to preach on this probably two weeks from today, there's not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the, of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is not just this angry, old, grumpy God that just cannot wait to lash out against people. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and he loves everybody. Folks, and this is not sarcasm. I'm being honest. There's a lot of people that feel that way. And they they say, well, we're following the God of the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Folks, I want to tell you, they're one and the same. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Gospel of John tells us that God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For the son came into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. But then John goes on to say if we reject him then we fall under the judgment of God. And that is the same truth that is proclaimed in the Old Testament. The judgment of God is a result and always will be the result of mankind's sin and rebellion against God and his holiness. And folks, we sang holy, holy, holy. And that's an old, old hymn. But folks, 
as you get, and I ask you to read the first six chapters in, in the book of Isaiah, when you get to Isaiah 6, and Isaiah is brought into the very throne room of God, it seems. What are the cherubim saying? God is holy. God is holy. And there's something that, again, I hope we'll get to. I hope you'll give me many weeks in studying in the book of Isaiah. One of the words that Isaiah uses for God is Yahweh, which is the Hebrew word that means the God above all other gods. But folks, as we begin looking at God's judgment, it is not because God stops loving mankind. God's judgment comes upon even the people of God. And remember again that Isaiah is preaching to the people of God. Do you remember those Sundays we spent studying Abraham and God promised Abraham through you, I'll bless all the nations of the earth. And folks, God had blessed Israel, but Israel was turning against God. And I believe that there's not only the United States, but the world seems to be turning against God in our day. So with that set up, let me read these verses out of Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And we're going to go back over these. And I know I'm going to kind of have to really go through them fast. But but listen, and, and just think about this. This is the introduction. This is Isaiah's first sermon, so to speak, and, and his prophecy in Isaiah, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And again, folks, understand, God is speaking to his people. He's not talking to the heathen world. He is talking to his very own people. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Why should you still be smitten that you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and bleeding wounds. They're all pressed out. They're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, aliens devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by aliens. And the door of Zion is left like a booth in the vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber patch, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Sodom, Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doing from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Now, as in all of the word of God, there's judgment of sin and there's the mercy of God. And here in verses 18 through 20, God is extending an invitation to his people. Listen to this, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, Please leave your Bibles open, okay? Isaiah is the first of 17 Old Testament prophets. Isaiah's prophecy is not listed first because he is the greatest or the best known or the most important. All of these men were important, it seems, because Isaiah's prophecy is 66 chapters. It is the longest and perhaps the most uh, prominent of, of relating to the New Testament because many prophecies in the book of Isaiah are listed in the New Testament in the Gospels themselves. It's important for us to understand that Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. So even by his name, God is telling the nations, I'm going to do something through this man. Hear what this man is telling you. And folks, again, as I said last Sunday, I want you to understand this point. The first 39 chapters are about the coming judgment or the judgment that has already fallen from God. But then beginning with verse 40 through the end of the book, the 66th chapter, God talks about his mercy and his grace. In those chapters are some of the most beautiful uh, understandings of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is about Jesus suffering on the cross And folks, it pictures our Savior who dies in the place of others, who has God's judgment to come upon him than upon the sinful people. And folks, there's something so often we think about the prophets are just talking about what's going to happen in the future. But the ministry of prophets focused on the present as well as the future. And Isaiah spoke of his day of upcoming events are events that are coming soon as well as our time. This book speaks to you and me. And I love the definition that Warren Wiersbe gives of a true prophet. And just Let me just read this because I, it just really touched me. True prophets are like good doctors. And true prophets... And in Isaiah's day, there were many, many false prophets. In our day, there are many, many false prophets... They're not necessarily in pulpits. Sometimes they're in our circle of friends that are encouraging us to abandon the ways of God and follow the ways of evil. But there, Warren Wiersbe said three things about a good good prophet like a good doctor. Number one, they diagnose the case. Number two, they prescribe the remedy. And number three, they warn the patient what will happen if the prescription is ignored. And let me ask you something. Would you go 
to your family doctor and ask him not to diagnose you? Would you go and pay whatever the fee is for an office visit and say, I just came here to make, I want you to say something to make me feel good. Don't tell me the truth if it's bad. We, would, we wouldn't want that, would we? We want the doctor to cut straight to the chase. And that's exactly what Isaiah did. But Isaiah not only talked about the, about the sins of the nation and how judgment of God was coming, but he gave them the remedy. Repent of sin and turn back to God. Now, how many of us like to hear somebody say, what you're doing is sin and you need to turn away from that and turn back to God? That's a hard thing to swallow, isn't it? But folks, what if, again, your doctor would not give you a remedy? And folks, it would only be our fault, wouldn't it, if the doctor said, here's your problem, I'm going to give you a prescription, here's the medicine that will make you better if we don't take it. What's going to happen? Whatever the problem is, is going to get worse. So 700 years roughly before the coming of Christ, Isaiah prophesies and ministers for at least 58 years during the reign of four different kings. And let me tell you why verse 1 is so important. And, and Tommy Jean, if you don't mind going back to, to the first verse, and, and if you will, and I might be hard to follow, I hope not, okay? In verse 1, there are four kings that are mentioned of Jerusalem and Judea, Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And if you'll go back and read 2 Kings, through, uh, 2 Kings 15 through 2 Kings 18, you'll find out about these kings. Some of these kings were good and some were bad. Uzziah was a good king according to 2 Kings 15. And I'm just telling you where these, these are located in the Scriptures because I don't want you to think any of this is made up. All of this stuff is historical fact and it is important. Jothan is mentioned in 2 Kings 15.34. He is a good king. Ahaz is a bad king mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 16. Hezekiah is a good king in 2 Kings 18. And folks, here's what I'm trying to relate that to. And I've got to be real careful here because this is not a political sermon, okay, but a scriptural sermon. You and I, if we live many years on the face of this earth in the United States of America, there are going to be some good periods and there are going to be some bad periods. Amen? And folks, right now, I believe that we're living in a very evil period. But that does not mean that God's power is limited unless we limit it by not turning back to God. And what type of revival could take place in the United States of America if Christian people simply stood up and said, I've had enough, I'm going to live for Jesus, and I'm going to let the whole world know where I stand. Again, I don't want to get off in the political. Last Sunday, I mentioned that chapter 1 describes what some call a courtroom scene. God is the judge. He convenes the court and he states the charges. And in verses 2, 3, and 4, God presents the charges. And folks, please notice the first or the second expression in verse 2. First of all, Isaiah says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. And then he says, and it's some very important words, For the Lord has spoken. These are not words from Isaiah the man. These are words from God. 
And let me let me point out at least three places in these these uh, these 20 verses that I read. And Tommy Jean, if you'll just leave it right there for just a second. In verse two, the Lord has spoken. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. In verse 20, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Folks, this is important because this is a message from God. Not from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet was simply the mouthpiece. I am simply the messenger here today. And here's the charges against God's people. His children have become rebellious children. And he uses something that that sounds very strange to us, doesn't he? He says in verse 3, The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not understand. And God is saying the children that I've raised up and cared for uh, so long and tenderly have turned against me. And even wild animals or animals know who their owners are and who they should give devotion to. But God's people do not. And folks, sometimes does that not describe me and you in our lives? And folks, in verse 2 and in verse 5... The word rebel is used. The people of God have broken the covenant that God made with them in the book of Exodus. And folks, again, you've got to see throughout the history of the Old Testament, God wanted to bless His people. God wanted to use His people. Again, we learned that in the studies in Abraham. But folks, over and over again, Israel broke the covenant, the contract with God. And folks, we do that when we sin against God. Israel had taken God's blessings for granted. They did not appreciate God. And in verse 4, Isaiah says, or God speaks through Isaiah to say, uh, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. Does that describe our generation? We have forsaken the Lord. We have despised the Holy One of Israel. Let me ask you something. What is holy in our day? What is holy? What is godly in our day? What are we accepting rather than the principles that God has laid out? And in verses 5 and 6, their rebellion against God is continuous. And folks... Again, it it seems rather strange, and that's why I wanted to break this down verse by verse. Isaiah describes the whole nation of Israel like a sick body. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. The sole of the foot, even the head. And then he describes the nation of Israel as being like a body that has been bruised and has sores and has bleeding wounds. And you know what basically I believe Isaiah is doing here? He is giving an autopsy of the whole nation of Israel that is turned against God. And folks, here's one of the things that that really touches Isaiah. Listen to the last phrases in verse 6. For they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. If you were sick, if you had bleeding wounds, if you had exposed sores that needed healing, would you not get someone to help heal the wound? But you know what? The people were turning to false prophets. The people were turning to hypocritical priests. The people were saying, if it's what everybody wants to do, then let's all do it. And the the whole nation of Israel was like a body that had been invaded by disease. 
Can you see the picture that Isaiah is painting? Can you not see that picture in our country today? And prophets like Isaiah who were speaking the word of God. And that was one of the requirements of being a true prophet. Thus saith the Lord. What I'm saying you, it might hurt your feelings and it might offend you. But it's from God. That's what Isaiah was doing. But they called Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets liars. And then in verses 7 through 9, God gives a picture of His people, the promised land. You remember again to Abraham. And folks, again, can you see all of the Old Testament beginning to come together and the focus beginning to come together that our God is a holy God and we're to be holy like He is? And because the people have abandoned God, their land is like a deserted battlefield. Once a beautiful garden is now a desert. And folks, in verse 8, and I want to read this out of the Living uh, Bible, the nation of God has, has been abandoned like a watchman's shanty in the field where the harvest is over or where the crop is stripped and robbed. In that day, while the laborers were out picking, uh, gathering the harvest, there would be a watchman. And, and I've told that there would be like a little booth out in the field. And, and if some marauders came, if, if they were going to be attacked and robbed and the fields burned, then that watchman was supposed to be watching out to make sure that they were not harmed and hurt. But, but that has been abandoned like a watchman's shanty in the field. Folks, there's so much symbolism in some of these verses. It is so absolutely beautiful. You know what a shanty is? When I was growing up in South Carolina, a little old house that was about to fall down was called a shanty. And, and you know, I believe this nation that God wanted to bless of Israel, the whole nation has become like a shanty. An abandoned house. Have you noticed around Person County, and I consider myself a Personian, and I'm very proud of this county, but have you noticed the many homes that are just falling apart? And I'm not talking about old houses. I'm talking about houses that have been abandoned. And, folks, I believe that unless we have a revival in the United States, that's what our nation's going to be like. Like a nation that has been abandoned because of the sins of the people, God will say, I've had enough. And folks, in verse 9, and this must be a very humiliating verse, as God compares the people of Israel to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were destroyed in Genesis 18 and 19. But folks, listen in verse 9, and again, there's grace here. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, you know who he's talking about? In spite of the sins of the people, there would be a remnant of true believers that would remain. And God would work through them. Folks, God sees his church as the remnant, as the people who are seeking to serve him. And just as God promised to bless Abraham and his descendants, he promises to bless the churches that will take a stand for him. In verses 10 through 15, and it begins with the phrase, Hear the word of the Lord. Again, God is bringing charges against His people. And folks, now He's talking about their worship. Yes, I'm going to finish in about five minutes. Okay? You've heard that before, hadn't you? But look, in verses 10 to 15, He talks about how God is disgusted by the worship of the people. They are religious, but their heart is not full of obedience. 
They are play actors. That's why Jesus called the people in his day hypocrite. In verse 10, God compares them again to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verses 11 through 15, and listen as God itemizes their acts of worship, which are not done for the glory and honor of God, but they are fraudulent. They're not done with hearts of obedience and hearts to God. In verse 11, God says, there's multitude of sacrifices and burnt offerings. In verse 12, they come before God in the temple. But in verse 13, they offer vain offerings and incense. And in verse 14, they celebrate the new moons and the feast, which were very important to the people of Israel because it recognized who God was. But folks, none of this honored and obeyed God. And folks, it's astounding that in verse 14, and let me read that to you, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. I am weary of bearing them. They've become a burden to me. Folks, their religious acts are not acceptable before God because folks, It comes from a sinful heart. And folks, something that's hard for you and I as Christians to really come to grips with because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we're born into the kingdom of God, we're just a saved sinner. Amen? I mean, we really are. I struggle. I'm not going to sit here and itemize my sins. But just as you struggle, I struggle daily with many, many sins. And, And listen, when we sin as a Christian... And this is something I think is so profound in the book of Isaiah. God did not want to stop loving them. Can we get a handle on that? God does not want to stop loving us. God's got a place for those who have called upon Jesus as a personal Savior. God's got a place in heaven for us. He is not going to stop loving us. But when we do certain things, He is going to stop fellowshipping with us. We don't lose our relationship with God, but we lose our fellowship with God. And folks, this is going on in the nation of Israel. They would be a light to the rest of the world. And even their religious acts were not acceptable in the sight of God. And folks, their rebellion is so great and their sin so great that God, in verse 15, refuses to see the hands that have been lifted up in prayer and to hear their prayers. And again, I ask the question, has God stopped loving them? Has God suddenly got an attitude? Folks, listen to what Isaiah says in 59.2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. Remember last week I tell you that in in Isaiah 58.9, there's coming a day when God again will hear his people's prayers after they repent of sin. Folks, Can this nation repent and turn back to God? Absolutely, yes. Can you and I repent and turn back to God as Christians? Absolutely, yes. And I hope you're saying, well, how can that happen? Well, let me tell you two ways at least, okay? What does 1 John 1, 9 say? One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. And I'm being serious. You remember what was written in Second Chronicles 7.14? You see, this was not the first time in the history of Israel that, that they rebel against God. 
And God had spoken. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. That's what we need, folks. And that's God's prescription. God is diagnosing his case. He is the judge. Before it's too late, I pray that our nation, our churches, preachers, pastors, all of us will repent of sin and turn back to him so that this world can hear and see the gospel of Jesus Christ in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take your word and you'll speak to our hearts. God, Isaiah prophesied over 2,000 years ago, but yet, Lord, we pray we would hear the message today. And God, we would see the errors of our way as individual Christians, as churches, and as a nation. And God, we would repent and we would turn back to you. Thank you, Lord, that you're always giving invitations. Thank you that through Isaiah, you said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God, help that we'll heed the work of your spirit to show us our sins. May we repent and may we turn back to you so that we can be used in your kingdom's work. Have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 413. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. If God is leading you to make a public decision this morning, would you come? Let us stand.